check. Man, there's a switch on this uh, receiver that turns it on. That's good to know. Uh, so a couple things before we get started into Luke 6. Is everyone doing good? Everybody having fun? We all happy? Yeah, yeah, okay. Two of you are happy. Um, I just want to brag on you guys really fast before um, we had the opportunity. So uh, I don't know how much you know about the county and where we live and all this stuff, but um, there's a, uh, I, don't, I almost called it a ministry. There's a, uh, yes, called Family Connection that helps partner some of the students that uh, might be um, needing some money or assistance, some family that needs assistance. Um, and so a lot of what we experience as far as parenting and upbringing of children in the school system here uh, is some level of just, uh, for a better word, ignorance. I mean, they just don't know any better. They don't know how to be good parents. They don't know how to budget. They don't know how to do that. Um, and so Family Connection does, um, who's in almost all the schools, they do parenting workshops that like try to bring parents in to teach them how to budget, teach them how to do all that. And one of the things how they kind of bribe them, uh, some parents to come and get some uh, advice and get some accounts on how to be better parents, is laundry detergent. Seems like, oh, that's weird, why would they? But a lot of families just don't have that. And the families that they're trying to target, that's a commodity for them. And so this week we were able to go buy 36 um, things. How big were they, Jay? Yeah, things of laundry detergent uh, so that we could assist the county in, in helping out into the community. So thank you guys for that. That was in our budget because you guys give, and um, that's awesome. Thank you for that. Uh, another thing I want to discuss real fast, uh, I don't know how much you guys know about the church and where we're going and what we want to do, um, but one of the big prayers that we, I'm going to ask you guys to really start praying. Um, it's been prayed a lot in certain corners and certain uh, leadership sects, but we're really ready to roll it out. Um, that was sex, S-E-C-T-S, just so you know, um, is Sunday morning location. Um, so we really want to find a Sunday morning location. Um, we feel like we'll be able to reach more families. We'll be able to do more as a church if we get into a Sunday morning location. Uh, and right now, there's just not a lot of options. Uh, what are options? There would be something that we'd have to be leasing seven days a week, and that's not really part of our vision nor in our budget. Um, and we've just kind of got some closed doors lately. So if you guys could join in with us, just praying that God would do something crazy and, and open up a door for a Sunday morning location. Sound good? That's something we're just going to keep praying. Um, I just think, yeah, Sunday mornings would be a, a good direction for us to go as a church. So how many people wish we would be Sunday mornings right now and not right here? And the rest of you are liars. It's okay. Um, so how many, how many people have this week just been crazy for you guys? Like, let me, let me set up my week, and then we'll just kind of talk a little bit, because we need to stop and pray before we get into the text. Because if you're like me, this has just been a crazy week. Um, so I started, I'm in seminary. The classes have been done for the fall, winter break. Uh, winter break, not fall, winter break. They just started back, and uh, any procrastinators in here? Yeah, yeah, so I'm really big in, in this week. Um, caught up with me, so as soon as I finish preaching, I'm going to go home, put the kids to bed, and then go back to work and pray that I finish everything by 11.59 p.m. So that's kind of that starting off. Also, uh, my wife's uncle, we got the call not once but twice, hey, you need to come to the hospital and say your goodbyes. He had surgery a couple weeks ago. Uh, he's an older gentleman, just hasn't uh, recovered through post-surgery well. So once getting that phone call is kind of not good. Uh, twice getting that phone call is not good, um, but he's still here. He's too stubborn to go. So uh, you could be praying for Uncle James for Bree and her family. That would be huge. Um, another thing, just as we're just kind of going on, just painting the picture for this week, uh, my mom and daughter 
got in an accident yesterday, got rear-ended. Um, and if I told you the words I told my brother when he called to tell me about the accident, I would not be a pastor anymore here. Um, knowing that someone was uh, driving and just my own assumptions was not paying attention and rear-ended my mom and my firstborn daughter, uh, yeah, it was, it was no good. Um, I'm glad my brother doesn't go here or else. I would, so I, I just need to repent of those words that came out of my mouth. But it was funny because we were looking for a new minivan. Uh, yeah, woohoo, minivan, cool. And so, so cool. Um, and the salesman, I think, overheard me because he came back. He said, hey, man, I'll knock a 1,000 off this car right now. Is that okay? I'm like, bro, you better watch out. So it's just been that week. Anyone else? It's just always something, always something. And then as soon as that something goes away, there's a new something developing. So if you're like me, we need to stop and pray and consider before we dive into the text and let the scripture read us. Does that sound good? Let me pray for us. Um, God, we know you're good and we know that you love us and you're for us. And Father, we know that ultimately um, you're for our joy. God, you want us to live a life that sings your praises. So there's times we don't understand, there's times we don't see, and there's struggles that you're purposely bringing us through. And so uh, as we're as a church body sitting in this room tonight, we just want to say, sometimes we don't get you, God, but we trust you. Sometimes we don't understand what you're doing, but we love you. And Father, we know that you're a good Father that loves us deeply, that cares for us sanctifying us through some of these processes that we're going through. Father, that that you lead us to waters and and let us drink or not. So God, I know if if anyone in this church is like me, there's things we just need to stop and confess. Um, There's things we need to repent from. There's things that have come out of our mouths and thoughts that we've had this week that we would be embarrassed if we shared in public. So God, would you sanctify us? God, would you Allow us to confess that to you. God, you, you already know. You, you know. And so let us confess and, and not be worried about whether we've disappointed you or, or all have our sins, how it affected you, Father. Father, all of our sins were future sins when you died for us. Us sinning is the prerequisite for salvation. God, that's why you came for us. And so... We can freely confess where we dropped the ball because you loved us and you've died for that. So now that we're here, let us just stop and remember and reflect on how good you are and what you've done for us. It's your name we pray. Amen. Does anybody watch TV? TV, okay. I'm, I'm, I used to be a big TV guy. I'm not so much anymore. Just like kids will do that to you. Uh, if I watch TV, I watch uh, kid shows. Um, but there was one commercial, it was like a year ago, that just cracked me up. There's two old biddies that were, uh, I think it was like a car insurance commercial. And this lady had pictures all on her wall. Do you all remember this one? Um, and it was, she was trying to mimic Facebook. And so she had, look at my wall, look at all these pictures. And so one of the other old biddies said, like, that's not how, like, you can't do that. And she's like, I unfriend you. Is, anyone, is this ringing a bell to anyone? I unfriend you. I'm going to take you off my wall. And I just remember the lady's voice. I can hear it in my head. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. And so um, there's a term that I've used, and I don't know if I coined it. If I'm stealing from somebody, you can take it back. Um, a term called false maturity, where we think we understand, we think we know, we think we've got things figured out. I like that lady that, oh, there's pic- I'm going to post pictures on my wall. I have pictures, and there's a wall got it. Like, no, that's, that's not how this works. That's not. Or another one, has anyone watched The Office? You've got to watch The Office. Okay. 
One of my favorite episodes of The Office, um, Michael Scott has to declare bankruptcy. So he walks out into his office and says, I declare bankruptcy. So Oscar has to go in like, bro, that's, that's not how that works. Like, that's not how any of this. So a lot of us as Christians and just in life, we have this idea of false maturity. We think we know how the world works. We think we know how it operates. And so um, we do some things that maybe look silly, maybe look a little dumb, uh, but we really genuinely think we're doing the right thing. We're doing the smart thing. But in all reality, because of this false maturity, this ignorance that we have, it's, it's not the right thing. And a lot of it has to do with who we surround ourselves with. But, but this, this idea of, I'll, I'll say it this way. Um, I am thinking about, no, no, no. I am going to refinance my house to a 5-1 arm because I know that I can pay my house off in five years. Okay? 5-1 arm. I know. Alex, is that a good idea? Yeah, okay. Uh, Alex said he doesn't know, so I'm going to do it because it's good. Like, he's up here. We're friends. Is that a good idea? He said, sure, okay, I'm, I'm going to go for it. Uh, 5-1 arm. I know that I make enough at the Branch Church, to, I can't even get it on my tongue, to, to pay my house off in five years. Uh, I'll just get some counsel from my dad. Dad, is that a good idea? Pro- okay. Probably not. That my salary is not big enough to pay my house off in five years. That I don't have to worry about the arm part. Does anyone know what the arm is? Adjustable rate? more. Okay, so here's what I'm talking about. The per- people that I surround myself with, it can lead me to an identity of false maturity. That if I don't have anyone smarter than me, wiser than me, that has walked through life just a little bit longer, I'm probably going to make some really bad decisions, right? But if I have some wiser counsel, if I have someone that gives me different perspective, I can stop and recalculate and go, wait, maybe that is a bad idea. Uh, maybe a 30-year mortgage is a really, really good idea because I can still probably not afford that, but I'll try. So what we're going to talk about tonight, we're going to pick up in Luke 6 uh, because we have these two kind of people. We, we introduced the Pharisees last week. Um, if you weren't here last week, I know a lot of people travel on weekends and college students go home because you're never home, uh, even though you go home every weekend. Uh, let this be your home. That's not passive aggressive, is it? Yeah. yeah, it is. Okay, stay here. Quit going home. Anyways, let this be your home. So we talked about the Pharisees and Jesus, and last week Jesus just kind of pulled the band-aid off quickly. Uh, I'm not only am I forgiving sins, but I'm gonna, or not only healing people, but I'm going to forgive your sins too. So the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders who had all their stuff together, they were perfect, they followed all the rules, they followed all the regulations, were screaming, blasphemous, we've got to get rid of this guy because he's claiming to be God. So if you enter into the scene, that's the, those are the guys of false maturity that they think they have everything together, they think they have the life figured out, but when literally Jesus Christ is standing in front of them, they miss it. They're not listening. They don't have their ears open. So last week, Jesus was healing people. He was forgiving sins. um, And he said, "I, I didn't come for the well. I came for the sick. My purpose here is for the sick. And so we're gonna pick up in chapter six and we're gonna fly through it and, and really camp out on one point And so we're going to read 17 through 26, but let me kind of paraphrase the first part of it um, because the Pharisees are just getting more and more and more upset at Jesus uh, because it's the Sabbath, and on the Sabbath you don't do anything. You rest, you stop, just like the Bible tells us to, but they forgot who Jesus was. So him and his disciples, some of his buddies were walking through the fields on a Sabbath. Uh, They were hungry, pulled off some wheat from the chaff, And just in the act of rolling it in their hands, you could eat the wheat, but if you process the wheat, if you put it on a stone, 
if you mess it up just a little bit. So just with some of his friends rubbing the wheat in their hands, they broke the law of the Sabbath. Now, do you guys, you don't have to raise your hand because they may be sitting next to you. Do you guys have that friend that called you out for every stinking thing? Okay, I'm, I'm judging the room right now that I, you have them, but you're close to them. So I'm just going to let that one go, right? I mean, those guys that like, I do this all the time. I text really fast and my thumbs are kind of big. So I mess up text. Um, and I'll just pick on Matt Thomas one time because I'm still bitter about this, man. Here's some open confession for you. I texted Matt about Allison's uh, husband, Carlton, and I misspelled his name. I put two R's, still obviously Carlton. And he wrote back, I'm guessing you meant Carlton and took one R out. You remember that? Yeah, yeah. Still, still bitter. No, so those friends that just critique everything, that's what the Pharisees are doing to no avail, but they're forgetting that Jesus Christ is standing in front of them, that he is the king, the Lord of the Sabbath. So Jesus kind of knowing this, I'm maybe reading into this, this might be some conjecture, um, but knowing this, he was just kind of picking at these guys, having fun with it. So they keep walking. A man uh, who needed to be healed walked up, and there's a theory floating around with some theologians that the Pharisees put this man with the withered hand in his midst just to see how he would do. Would he really heal a man on the Sabbath? That's sinful. Then we've got a case for him. So they were trying to trick Jesus into this situation, and Jesus healed him. Pharisees went crazy. Death threats started coming out. So Jesus said, I got to go. I'm, I'm going to go up and pray. I'm going to spend time alone. He goes, spends the night on the mountain, prays, spends time in prayer, as he's starting to come back down the mountain, this is when he officially picks his disciples. He picks his boys. He says, all right, boys, let's go. This is his first big sermon that he's walking to. So I can just imagine probably Peter. Like in my mind, y'all seen the Mighty Ducks where they fly as a V together, right? Like Jesus in the front and the guys are going, oh, yeah, Pharisees, it's coming now. And G Peter, stop. All right, all right, I'm good. I'm good, Jesus. Jesus, get them now. You know, like they're getting hyped up, comes onto the scene, and this is where we're going to pick it up. Picking up in verse 17. And he came down with them and stood on a level place. Now, if you ever heard of the Sermon of the Beatitudes from Matthew, um, this is Luke's version of it. So it's a little shorter, it's a little different, but this is the same scene. He stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all of Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. And when they came to hear him and to be healed of all their diseases... And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. Another translation says that all that were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowds sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them. There's that word again, all. Now we have to understand kind of what's happening here. Jesus has went up to the mountain to pray. He came down. He's literally healing everybody. Like there's no one in that crowd anymore that has any disease, any sickness, anything. He's healed all of them. Do you know what that word all means in the Greek? All, like literally no more. They took care of it. But you've got to pick up where this is. This isn't in the city, right? This isn't where those that aren't allowed to come in, that those, aren't, that are, those that aren't good enough, that those might have disease, that those might have sicknesses. Jesus didn't go to where those people weren't welcome. He went outside of the city. He went into the valley, the base of a mountain, so that literally anyone that wanted to come hear him could come hear him that Jesus was accessible to all. Just a quick question, is that the Jesus that we throw out? Is that Jesus is acceptable to all? So let's keep teaching, or keep reading. Verse 20, I'm going to keep teaching, you keep listening. Verse 20, and he lifted up his eyes on the disciples. Quick context, 
the main point of the sermon was to the disciples, not to the large crowd. So the 12 that he had just picked, the already believers that were with him, the ones that were following him, that committed to him, these 12 guys, this is the context that's going to them. Yes, to the crowds, of course. But the main context is for these 12 guys that are about to give everything to this guy for the next three years. So if we were all about to start a mission, if we were all new believers, that we were walking with Christ for the first time, this is what Jesus would want to tell us. So we better listen. And he lifted up his eyes on the disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep, for now you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. Here's where it's about to turn, though. Verse 24. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consultation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Verse 26, woe to you when all people speak well of you, for their fathers did the same to the false prophets. All right, now if you're a thinker at any level, and if you're an American at any level, this just messed up your whole worldview. This just changed everything for you. Because when you're reading this, you're going, ah, okay, cool, Jesus. Sounds good on paper. And you can almost hear the apostles, like, texting, uh, did you hear what he just said? Like, should we roll out now? Because that's a little weird. I was kind of thinking we might get rich out of this. I'm already poor. I can't get any more poor, right? This is just kind of messing up the framework. One of the theologians I wrote about this um, said that the Beatitudes make a mockery of the world's values then and now. They make a mockery of the world's values. So these beatitudes, I mean, if you literally Googled it, what is the definition of beatitudes? Uh, because I did. It means supreme blessedness. Supreme blessedness. So if you live in this way, if you live in this matter, you're going to have supreme blessedness. And so what he was trying to convey to the disciples, what he's trying to convey to us, is that we have to completely unlearn to serve him. We have to unlearn all that we know to serve the King of Kings. That we have to rewire our mind, rewire our brain. We have to unlearn to serve the kingdom. I mean, if you want to think of it this way, that everything that Jesus is, everything that Jesus does, everything the Bible teaches us is a literally 180 of how we live. What we accept, what we know is normal. You have to unlearn to serve him. So let's kind of break some of these Beatitudes down. Uh, we'll start off with the blessed. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Now, some of you are going, amen, I'm down with that. I'm, I'm poor, I'm ready to get some of that blessedness, man. So poor, yes, obviously means financially, but what he's really getting at is the source, that you don't have a source for food, you don't have a source for finances, you don't have a source for water, you don't have a source for life. If you were poor, you're blessed because now Jesus will be your source. So the next one, blessed who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. 
Again, we're not talking literal hungry, but it is, yes, you could be literally hungry, but are you hungry for truth? Are you hungry for change? Are you sitting there going, man, something just isn't right? Like Tom Brady just won Super Bowl, right? What was his number? Oh, stop it. Quit being bitter. What was it, number five? Right? Okay. Um, you can go YouTube this. This, is, this will just blow your mind. After he won the third Super Bowl, they interviewed him on 2020. Has anyone seen this? Interviewed him on 2020 and said, listen, uh, you just signed on to, I think, a five-year, maybe 10-year, $60 million contract. Um, your wife is a supermodel. You just won your third Super Bowl. How are you feeling? And literally, his response is, not what I thought I would. Like, I, I would have thought, like, this would fulfill me, but I'm still looking for what's next. There's got to be more than this was the quote, literally, there's got to be more than this, was the quote of a man making $60 million, married to a supermodel wife, winning three Super Bowl. You, you don't get higher than Tom Brady right now. I'm sorry for you, like Green Bay, Brett Favre is the greatest quarterback. No, you don't get higher than Tom Brady. And Tom Brady's sitting in the chair going, I literally thought there'd be more than this. This hunger, I mean, if Jesus was around now, he would go, yeah, yeah, man, you're hungering for the right thing. You're learning or yearning for the right thing. Keep going. You're blessed because of that. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Now, this isn't like the crybaby, okay? I'm just saying, like, this is the one that's like weeping. Like, do you get broken for things around you? Can you drive down the road and see a house or see a situation or talk to someone and just brings you to tears. I mean, the middle image of Jesus looking over Jerusalem and crying over them for their sins. Are we weeping for those that are around us? Are our hearts broken for the brokenness around us? Or do we just drive by it? So Jesus is saying, like, if you just drive by it, I'll get to you in a second. But if you're broken, if you're weeping for what's around you, if you're weeping for the sin and the brokenness and the disparity around you, you're going to be blessed. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn you as evil. Now, some of you are going, all right, I like that part. So, I mean, I can go be a jerk to whoever I want. Jesus said, blessed am I if people hate me. Let's go. I need to have some conversations starting in this room, right? No, we got to keep reading. On account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in the day and leap for joy, and behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their prophets, their fathers did to the prophets. On account of the Son of Man, if you are hated, if you're excluded, reviled, spurned, one of the one of the biggest things I've learned in ministry is how much of a people pleaser I am. I want people to like me. I really do. And so when I read this, blessed when people hate you on the account of my name. I mean, if, if we were just kind of going, okay, which one hits you the most? I think that is a big one for me. That if I know, if I can keep quiet about my faith and I know that you'll like me more, I'm going to be really tempted to do that. Right? If I know that, like, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, but in this conversation, I can separate that away. I can put that behind me and we can still be friends. Like, uh, man, I'd be tempted to do that. But Jesus said, no, 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 blessed. If people hate you, you're doing the right thing in my name. Not just if people hate you. In my name. Now, those are the blessed. So again, there's two audiences happening in this room. The Pharisees are getting even more mad. Just kind of like some of us are going, like, that's counterculture. 
But then there's other people out in the, I said room, out in this valley going like, okay, I'm poor. Like, I hate what's going on around me. I'm hungry for something bigger. Like, Jesus, keep talking. Like, that, that's me. That's who I'm, you're talking about. Like, everything you're saying resonates with me. I mean, come on, keep preaching. But then Jesus turns and he rolls out these woes, which are only found in Luke, which I find interesting. The woes are only found in Luke. And, and this is kind of not like a scornful woes, but it's an expression of regret and compassion, not a threat. So these woes that Jesus is throwing out, this isn't a threat. This is an expression of compassion. You know, like when you just see someone making a bad decision, you go, man, please don't do that. Please don't walk down that road. I know where that road goes. Please, I'm begging you. Y'all ever have that moment? That's what this expression is coming from, this woes. But the overarching theme for these woes that we're about to read is that self-sufficiency is fatal to spiritual growth. So if we have to learn, unlearn everything so that we can serve, here's where we have to start. Self-sufficiency is fatal to our growth. As Christians, self, our self-sufficiency is fatal. So woe to you or the rich, for you have received your consultation. It's not the riches that he's talking about. It's the attitude of riches that he's talking about. It's not the riches that he's talking about. When I used to do construction, uh, I learned very quickly there's two kinds of rich people. Um, there's the first guy that is just a jerk, right? I mean, you don't want to do business with him. The moment you get there, he's like, uh, I need you to put on those little footies that you wear and come in this house. I'm like, man, you're like, you're wearing, you got hardwood. We can mop it. No, nope, you've got to do that. I'm like, sir, you realize we're going to come in and out of your attic like 17 times. So every time we come in, yes, I want a new booty every single time. This is Brazilian maple beech wood. I don't know if that exists, but... Like, you, you cannot step on these floors. Like, okay, sir, we'll, we'll take care of it. But then there's the other kind of rich guy. It's like, bro, what do you want? You want a fresca? You want me to go get you some biscuit? Like, we'll, we'll man, get the work done when you get there. Let's hang out. I just want to know you. And here's what I start to find out about these two rich people. Um, the first one is just as broke as I am. He's living paycheck to paycheck. He's in debt. He has no real money. His, his budget may be a little higher but he's just as stressed about money making $2 million as most guys are making 15000 right? But then there's the other rich guy that is so loaded it's not even funny. He's like, man, that's why, let's hang out. I'm not worried about this. I'm not concerned. There's just this idea of, like, what do you need? Like, we've got some really generous people in our life, and it's easy to tell, does money control them? Because I, I can't stand there and say, like, riches are evil. No, it's the attitude behind it that will mess you up. And this is what Jesus is trying to get to. If you think you have all you need because your money, I mean, you already paid in full. There's no room. If, if spiritual necessity is what you're looking for, then there's not going to be a conversation here because you don't think you need me. You already have all your money. So what else do you need? So rich is this idea of the mindset that you get into when you think you have all the money. I mean, think about it in this way. The kings in those days literally thought they were gods because I didn't need anything. I've got everything I need. I've got a country that I run. I've got more riches than I know what to do with. I must be a God. So he's saying, woe to you that are rich, for you have already received your consultation. The next one is very similar. Woe to you who are full now, so you shall be hungry. If you have everything you need, if self-sufficiency is fatal to the spiritual growth in the gospel, if you don't think you need anything, then why do you need Jesus? Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Now listen, uh, God is pro-laughter, okay? This isn't literally saying, woe to you who laugh. You better not laugh. Stop. Someone laughed. 
we're, seriously, we're trying to be spiritual here. Stop laughing. You found it. Oh, I still heard one. All right, so that's not what he's saying. He's saying if you're laughing at the expense of others, if you're laughing about the brokenness around you, it's the opposite of the tears. If you can drive down the road and you're laughing and you're enjoying, you're fine. You see the brokenness all around you and it doesn't bother you. Now, like you're, you're, you've already received it. There's no room for God in your life. And woe to you when people speak well of you. For so their fathers did to the false prophets. And this is where he brings out a big distinction. Because a good reputation is very biblical. Right? I mean, you look at Thessalonians, you look at even, I think, Titus. A good reputation, being well-known and well-loved among men, is a good reputation to have. So he's not saying if people speak well against you, like, no, we all want that. But if people are speaking well because of what you're preaching, when it's contrary to the gospel like the false prophets, that's where things get dangerous. I mean, there's some of these guys, and I, like, whatever, you can name them, you can read about them, but some of these, like, mega church, mega huge ministries that they have going on, I can't call it a church in good faith, um, they're that big, and people like them that much because the message they're preaching is contrary to the gospel. That's what's happening there. So, woe to you when people speak well of you. You've got to be careful of that. But here's the big deal with the woes. Um, I've got four kids, and, and every now and then, I will not really play this game, uh, but if I have something better for them, I'll say, hey, come into the kitchen. And I know I've got a huge cookie cake that we're about to tear into. Come into the kitchen, let's eat. And if they choose to disobey me, I'm going to let them go. They're so obsessed with the hot rod, hot wheels cars that they're playing with that they don't realize they're missing out on the cookie cake that we're about to eat in the kitchen. So my love and my wrath at the same time looks like just letting them go and playing their own thing when I know there's something better for them. So here's a quote I'm going to read by H.H. H. Farmer. Um, I might have to read it twice because it'll get you. To Jesus, the terrible thing about having wrong values in life and pursuing the wrong things is not that you are doomed to bitter disappointment, but that you are not. And not that you do not achieve what you want, but that you do. Did y'all catch that? Let me read it one more time. The, to Jesus, the terrible thing about having wrong values in life and pursuing the wrong thing is not that you are doomed to bitter disappointment, but that you're not. And not that you not achieve what you want, but that you do. So to, what he's saying is, Jesus knows that he, if you just keep pursuing the things that you want to, you're going to be fulfilled for a season. If you pursue money because you think that's going to fulfill you, it's going to for a season. And he's just letting you do that to bring him back to himself. That he's letting you walk down these woes. He's letting you pursue that. And what's the worst part is that you don't even realize that that's not going to fulfill you. I mean, if we were just to be honest about some of our college majors, we've picked them so that we can get the right jobs, so we can get the right wife, that so we can get the right house, we can make the right money, and we think that's what's going to fulfill us. And soon we're going to be sitting in a chair like Tom Brady going, I've got everything, and there's got to be more. And that is the love of Jesus. It's letting you wander that long. I mean, as a father, that would just break my heart to see them pursuing the wrong road and the wrong road. And, oh, this is good. This is fulfilling. What are you talking about this isn't fulfilling? Are you serious? Here's $1,000. Go think about that. Right? Like, no, that's what he's talking about. You don't even know that you're wandering. You don't even know that you're strained because we're so ingrained into the American dream that the more money, the more house, the more this is what's going to fulfill you. But as Christians, we have to unlearn all of that to serve Christ Jesus himself. 
We have to try to get out of this mindset to get there. Uh, let me, I need a volunteer. Alex, come here. I've already picked on you once. Come here. Is that cool? I got something for you. Oh, you didn't move, man. You just made me look like a fool. Get out of here. So, dang it. If you're listening to this on podcast, he just fell on the floor. Alex, you can get up, man. You're fine. Y'all can laugh so people know that my example didn't fall on his face. So, other than Alex, who's like a sticking karate guy, most of us, our first reactions is if someone comes at you, you back up, right? If someone pulls something on you, like Alex is just like, don't fight Alex. He's going to win. But most of us, if something scares you, if something startles you, like I should have pulled this up on YouTube instead of watching Alex not move and get embarrassed about it. If someone comes at you, the average reaction is to back up, right? If something's falling at you or coming at your face, what do you do? You move your face. So there's a guy, Allison's husband, Carlton, um, does this thing, and I can't even say it, Krav McGraw, is that right? Is that how you say it? Okay, yeah, some, something like that. It's Israeli self-defense, and the first thing that they have to teach you, and, and he was telling me about it, like, this thing is crazy, like, not like karate self-defense, but we were eating barbecue. I was like, what would happen if, like, an active shooter walked in, and he looked me square in the eyes and said, everything on this table is now a weapon. <laughs> All right, man, like, let's go. I want to see this take place. Like, get that guy. Like, he, he's a bad guy. Get him, you know, like. I don't have a beard. I'm not a terrorist. Don't get me. Like, get someone else. And so um, everything turns into a weapon. But one of the first things you have to learn at Krav Kr- McGraw, uh, Israeli self-defense, is to take the first step. So if someone comes at you, the first thing you have to do is fight your nature that to, calls you to move back and take the first step in. That you have to lean in. You have to press in. If someone charges you, if someone pursues you, if someone goes to punch you, the first thing you have to do is retrain your mind, rewire your mind to take the first step at them. Now, I don't know if anyone's ever had a hand swing at your face. Um, just the first step is not going to be forward. For some of you, I'm just going to be honest, especially some of you men, your first step is going fetal on the ground. That's where you're going to end up. That's fine. We've got a lot of rewiring to do in your mind. But the first step is forward. As I was talking to Pat about this a couple weeks, because this, this mindset just blows my mind. And he's a runner, and he talked about growing up and running. Like if dogs charge after him, um, 100% of the time, right? If you've chased after the dog, like dog starts running, whoop, 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 whoop. if you turn and run at the dog, 100% of the time the dog is ran away from Pat. So this rewiring of our mind, though, will take a lot of time. It will take a process. And so if we have to unlearn everything we know about life, about Christianity, about American lifestyle so that we can serve the kingdom, we have to understand this is going to take a while because when we see punches fly, our natural reaction is to duck. But what we're trying to do is know, like if something happens, we're going to take the first step. And just like the dogs, Carlton told me that uh, most of the time, if an active shooter were to walk in, I know this is probably not a good subject to talk about, but uh, if someone walked in this door that wanted to bring us harm, if I just naturally started walking towards him, he's going to turn and run. Because that is not what he was experiencing. That's not what he was thinking was going to happen. He thought everyone would cower in fear. So dude walks in, he's got a gun. If I just start walking towards him, like, bro, it's on, guy's out. I don't know if I'm going to do that, just so you know. I love you, but maybe not that much. So here's where we get to. We see the blessedness. We see the woes. We know that it's a natural unlearning process. The big question, though, is are we willing to do it? 
the big question boils down to, we see two types of people. This is where um, even the prophecies would speak of this. Uh, Mary would talk of this, that Jesus came with a sword. He was going to divide people quickly. Are we willing to enter into the process of unlearning? Are we willing to commit that Jesus, God of the universe, might know more than we do? So we're going to enter into this process of unlearning so that we can actually serve the kingdom. That we're going to make decisions that are going to seem really weird and really contrary to those that are around us. And that's a really, really good thing. If every decision you make is agreed upon by every non-believer in your neighborhood, I would question if you're making the right decision. So are we even willing to walk into this process? Because this is what happened. Um, at this point, the Pharisees started sticking their fingers in their ears and going, no, 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 I like my comfort. I like what I've got. This has got to be blasphemy. This has got to be heresy. This cannot be king of kings, lord of lords. This is not God. And do we have that attitude? Like, I was just following Jesus as long as I could have my stuff. But if you're going to start taking my stuff away, like, I'm, I'm not really willing to pursue him in that capacity. Are we like the Pharisees that are sticking our fingers in our ear? And here's the other part of it. This can't turn into a list. Because I know some of you are probably going, okay, no, no, I'm willing. Just tell me what to do. Like, give me the list of things to do to make me live the blessed, like the supreme blessedness. And so that Jesus doesn't have to give me woes. Give me that list to do. But it's not that simple because then that list would just turn into legalism. And we'd be in the same boat the Pharisees are. Because they followed every single rule to a T. So if I gave you a list, do these 10 things, and you will unlearn all that you know, and you'll start walking and serving after Christ. It's, it's not that simple. Then we just start boasting about, I got 10 out of 10. How many you got? Chump. How many you got? Fool. How many you got? I got 10 out of 10, man. Get I'm untouchable, right? We would turn this into a competition, which would be prideful, which would be the opposite of blessedness. So are we willing to do it? Maybe another way to say, is this actually good news or not? Because in the audience, there's two people. One was really good news and one wasn't. So what, what then do we do if it's not a list, if it's not a competition, if it's not do this and this and this? Uh, we've got this thing called the Holy Spirit as believers. And I think we need to ask him what we need to unlearn. Because here's the deal about blind spots, right? Um, they're blind. Anyone else? I mean, it's kind of part of the word blind spots are, you don't know that you have them. You don't know that you need to unlearn them. There's one of, one of my favorite things to do. It's called a 360 evaluation. Maybe I'd encourage you to do that. Ask the people that know you well where, you need to, where you're not walking with the Father. What you need to unlearn, what are you pursuing, what are you chasing, what are you running after that isn't from the king? So here's how we want to end. Here's how we want to wrap everything up tonight is Matt's going to pick and I want you to pray. For some of you, this might be the first time. I want you to literally pray, Holy Spirit, what do I need to unlearn? And no matter what comes to your mind, write it down. No matter what thought just pops in your mind, uh, you can discern it later. Just write it down. Because if it's up to us to think about what we need to unlearn, uh, we're probably going to come with the wrong answer. There's a verse in Psalms that talks about there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. There's a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. So what attitude in your life is keeping you from being 100% dependent on Christ?
if the whole theme of the Beatitudes was you need to unlearn so that you can serve, what attitude is holding you back? What is keeping you from serving Christ completely and really keeping you from walking in your full joy? Christ has came so that you can have joy, that you can have, John 10, 10, life to the full. So if we're pursuing things that are apart from that, we're going to keep being unfulfilled and unfulfilled and unfulfilled. So from the big idea, what is keeping us away from Christ? What attitude do we have that we might not even realize that's keeping us from him? So Matt's going to start picking. If we could just spend some time in prayer asking him that. So let me start the prayer for us, and then we'll just sit for a little bit. Now, Jesus, we want to know you fully. Father, we know that you love us. God, we know that you came and you died for us. And Father, I can, I can hear the woes in your voice. I can hear the brokenness in your voice. Father, I can hear the warnings coming. That you think that's where full life is, but it's far from that. And you're not mad at us and you're not disappointed in us. You're broken for us that we're choosing to worship the created over the creator. So God, we just want to listen. We want you to speak to us. Father, to live a life that impacts the world for the gospel. What attitudes do we need to change, Father? Where do you need to step into our life? Where do we need to admit we don't have this part of our life figured out? We need your help in this. And Father, you are faithful. You will help us. You will lead us. You will save us and you will sustain us. God, but we just have to confess. Confess this attitude. Confess this thinking, this thought pattern that we know is keeping us from serving you and following you with everything we have. So God, would you just speak to us now? Church, would you ask the Spirit, what attitude is keeping me from being 100% dependent on Christ? As you're listening, just write that down. And if all you hear is your thoughts, just keep pondering that tonight. And when you're ready, after you've spent time with the Lord, communion will be open in the back. And communion for us means a lot today because it confirms that we actually need Jesus. As we're talking about these attitudes, that the sin that's separating from us, when we take communion, it's a quick reminder that Christ has taken that sin from us, that he is saving us, that he is making us more like himself. 
every time we bring up these attitudes and every time we confess and we repent, even though it might be a painful process, we get to take communion tonight to remember that, that that's what Christianity is, that that's what he does for us over and over and over again. He didn't die on the cross to leave us here. He died on the cross to give us a better life. So Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you preached the Beatitudes to us. Thank you that you didn't give up on us. Um, God, thank you that you didn't give up on the Pharisees, that you wanted them to get the message of the gospel just as much as those that you just healed. So Father, for us tonight, as a church and as individuals, God, would you speak to us? Would you reveal to us what attitudes, what thinking is keeping us from serving you fully? Where do we need to die to ourselves more so that we can see your life more clearly and more full in our hearts? So as we take communion, man, what a celebration we get to celebrate tonight. Because you are sustaining us and you are making us more like God, thank you for you. Thank you for your love and for your grace. It's your name that I pray.